Hey y'all, I'm Jinx Monsoon and welcome to a brand new episode. Hi <laughs> Jinx! Woo! Uh, sorry, I'm giddy because today our guest is a very, very funny, talented, amazing, brilliant, all, all the positive adjectives you can think of. It's Maria Bamford. Maria Bamford is a voice actor from basically every cartoon you've ever loved. Um, uh, she's an actor on on many wonderful shows. She's a stand-up comedian. Uh, she's got a Netflix series about her life, and she is a personal hero. And I never in a million years thought I'd get to interview her, but here I am doing it. Dreams are coming true on High Jinx 2022. So I hope you all enjoy as you hunker down and sink your teeth into some new hijinks. Forever. Dog. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by comedian, actress, and the voice of so many characters you know and love, not to mention one of my personal heroes in life, Maria Bamford. Hi, Maria. Hi, Jinx. <laughs> so I, I'm i going to start by <laughs> pulling up a picture. Yes. Because um, I don't know how many years ago, but I chased oh. you. <laughs> <laughs> so adorable. I, I literally chased you. I had fallen asleep the entire flight. Um, we were on a flight together. And then getting off the flight, I saw you, many people ahead of me. And I do not condone this behavior. I do not recommend to anybody listening do this because when a person gets off a flight, you know, it's a jarring experience. <laughs> Sometimes you wake up, you're in a different time zone. Maybe the weather has changed or the sun has gone down. Typically, you also have to pee. And that's exactly what happened this time. <laughs> I chased you down. You were so kind. And you were like, we can take a picture, but I, I do have to pee really fast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting serious. Um, uh, I was so delighted that anyone would care. I mean, that's why I get into show businesses so that people wouldn't say hello to me. Um, <laughs> um, but yes, and what? And was it? It was after that that you did the. Um, I'm going to say Project Runway, but that is not the show. It is uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, and or was it? During it was it was I, I I don't know if it was it was definitely already happening because I wouldn't happening. have been flying around Mine. the country if okay. I hadn't already been on TV. Because I remember looking you up and just seeing anyway seeing your performance on that show it was just you're insanely it was just a pleasure to watch it also water off a duck's back so positive uh, which I totally. <laughs> 
I totally appreciate, you know, because it is, I mean, especially that show, it is very hard to uh, stay, stay, uh, 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 yeah, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's putting it mildly, yes. It's a very, um, it's a very intense uh, process going from the start to the finish of that show, but you know what? We all find our way to muddle through. Yes. Um, I... I'm just going to start by gushing real quick okay. because I think I was first exposed to your comedy and your work um, when I was maybe like 14 or 15 years old. And that was right before I started drag. And oh. in multiple interviews, I think it's also listed on my Wikipedia page. Um, people ask me who are my inspirations for my work as a as an entertainer and as a drag artist. You're always listed. Oh. I I think I was first um, I first discovered the Maria Bamford show when you were doing um, um, what I can assume is was independently or semi independently produced <laughs> web shows <laughs> about your personal life, and it just resonated with me so much. And becoming a fan of yours and then like kind of backtracking and realizing how many things that I already loved you were a part of. For my listeners right now, you're a voice actor whose career spans decades. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's my favorite zone. I love to be in a booth away from others, <laughs> away from others, uh, yeah. that's, that's my zone. <laughs> or amplified and lit monologuing. Those are my my two <laughs> safe spaces. <laughs> you um you do impressions and and voices in your stand up work, um and then once you once you kind of learn Maria Bamford's voices, <laughs> yeah. you can start to hear you in almost every animated show that exists. Um, to list a few. Uh, you were Shriek. This is something I just learned today in my notes and my research. You were the character Shriek Dubois in the show Cat Dog from the glory days of Nickelodeon cartooning. Ugh, um, you mo you voice multiple characters on Adventure Time, and this is huge. Um, I think most notably the Slime Princess. Yes, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> and then other um, other animated credits uh, include American. Dad, Ugly Americans, Big Mouth, you voice Tito, the anxiety, anxiety mosquito, mosquito. <laughs> Bojack Horseman, and then I'm, you know, that's just uh that's just a notable list, but I feel like you're everywhere. <laughs> oh, well, no, it is a great it's a great chunk of my income that will allow for a, a generous <laughs> pension. So um also I always loved cartoons as a kid. So it's mm -hmm. been uh spectacular uh to to be a part of what I realize now is a machine. <laughs> Whoops. Um, <laughs> it's a beautiful machine, of which yeah. I am a small cog. And uh, yeah, no, I let the, the, the voiceover. Have you done voiceover yourself? Have you done? I have, and I fucking love it You're because right. I, I say it's like getting to do drag without getting into drag, right. which is the only part of drag that gives me the blues because it's like a two to three hour transformation process. And some people love it. 
I've just, I've been doing it so long that getting, doing the makeup for two hours does not thrill me anymore. <laughs> I, right there. I, uh, I don't know if it ever thrilled me, but I mean, being a het sis is, is, a uh, well, it's slightly drag when you're going to do television or do live shows. You know, I've been told many times, you know, just put on some lipstick. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> you're just a bag of bones and a hank of hair out there. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, I, I'm not interested anymore in beauty. I mean, that that is part of the joy of watching RuPaul's Drag Race is going, right? You know, <laughs> God damn it, to just even look slightly feminine <laughs> takes a number of hours and a, and a pump and a serious pump. <laughs> well, I've, I've had people, you know, many times in my work say, I'd love to, I'd love to look like you. What are the secrets? How do I look like you? And I'm like, mm. you got three hours to spare every day? Because trust me, <laughs> it's a necessary evil. But yes. the moment that like, uh, the moment that they invent like a shotgun that can just shoot my makeup onto my face, <laughs> I can just load it up and hand it to my assistant and stand against a wall. Um, I'm all for it. I'll be the prototype tester. Um, I'd like to, I'm going to stray from, I, my my producer always gives me such a cohesive, comprehensive outline for all oh my, my guests. Oh God. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to stray from it a little bit and kind of piece things together with you the way that I perceived them as, as a fan and an audience member. And you tell me how close I am to the truth. Okay. So okay. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's fun. So the Maria Bamford show was extremely candid. Um, uh, the premise was that after a series of mental breakdowns, um, you left the public eye and moved back in with your mo mother in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, and that's where the show was taking place. Um, it was you doing lots of impressions of your family, you being extremely candid and open about um, your own journey with mental health. And it also gave us a lot of your backstory as an artist, a comedian, and an entertainer. <laughs> and going backwards from that, I then found like early stand-up of you. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> and you you do an impression of yourself in um, your more recent stand-up. You do an impression of yourself in your early stand-up days when you were doing possibly more commercial stand-up or late-night stand-up. Right, right, right. <laughs> and your impression of yourself is so amazing. And then to go back and watch that and see the the material that you're that you're making a joke about just kind of blew my mind. Oh. Um, can we talk a little bit about your transition from mainstream stream stand-up to the more candid, personal, maybe um maybe um niche stand-up that you do today? <laughs> well, now, of course, everybody knows it's such a beautiful time on the internet mm -hmm. and where you can find your own specific audience and be extremely famous to four people. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's lovely. I mean, that's, and, uh, but when I, I believe when I was starting out and also as a human being just, um, grew up in a certain, uh, uh, yeah, a way women should act. Mm -hmm. And also I remember doing Vegas once and the guy was like, you got to explain your jokes. You got to <laughs> say, I'm crazy. 
You know, I'm this crazy woman. I, I, you know, I'm not schizophrenic, but I'm schizo. And I was like, okay. So there was that. I think then, then now it has become more popular to comment on, Mm -hmm. on, on that sort of, um, it's good because everybody likes it, right? (laughs) (laughs) If I say it in the right rhythm, you laugh. (laughs) <laughs> you know? and so i i i like the i do find the uh i also did terribly i was um sent home from so many comedy clubs in the beginning of my career like i uh yeah that uh i got fired so many times that for just um and i don't know if i i, you know, I was tr- definitely trying to to make people laugh, I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Oh, I may have to ask them. But um, uh, yes, yeah, so I guess the style and um, becoming more myself was definitely a p- part of um, also frustration of going, uh-huh. well, I'm not even getting action from t- <laughs> trying to be more palatable. So <laughs> may as well go all in on what I find uh to be uh funny um i know the way that mary bamford show came up was uh because i could never get on a sitcom like i, I just whatever reason i always wanted to be on a sitcom i was never on one couldn't get on it and so i thought well i'll make my own and i, I did a one woman show the one woman show <laughs> um, <laughs> and playing all the characters and that's um and that's what I, I still do now as I give my mm-hmm. own myself the job that I want, you know, like yeah. not, not wait for someone else to give it to me. That's, uh, that's absolutely fantastic. And I, I find that, you know, my, in my own career, most of the work that people know me for is work I created for myself, aside from the reality TV beast <laughs> that I slayed. But um, <laughs> I... Which I is rest- also, I mean, that was a creative, brave act oh, yeah. because to interact <laughs> within that structure is is very, and to still manage to be yourself is very, uh, yeah, difficult. And and for someone who you know creates their own work a lot, I think one of the hardest things mm-hmm. is giving over the final word and the final say to someone else. You know, I think um, when we're putting out our own work, we are in control of what makes it to the public. <laughs> and I love it. There, <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a huge amount of trust that goes into handing over, you know, this chunk of your life to someone else to edit and interpret and then display for others. <laughs> so. Yeah. I'm curious, have you had a creative project pitched to you where it's been would be more of a group edit situation that you've been a part of or? Um, most, most of the work that I've done since Drag Race, aside from, you know, I've, I've done some TV and film and I've done a handful of voiceover stuff, but most of, most of my work is, is self-generated okay. and self-produced. And then, you know, the final edit that goes out into the world, I at least get some kind of, veto power on right right okay it's, okay 
it's really just reality TV was the time that I really had to just hand over everything to someone else and hope for the best. And, you know, I can't complain about the outcome. No, <laughs> you, no you certainly can't. I, I, well, and as a comedian, you know, they use, they've had several reality shows over the years and I just, not for lack of wanting to, but because I, I knew I, I could not handle it if, if, if I was edited in a way, like I was certain that I would be the psychological mess on any, I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's going to be me. Um, I was like, uh, I, I, I'm good. I don't need to have that on film, but you know, so it's, it's just really brave, you know, to be yourself and have it, oh Lord. Speaking of bravery and being yourself, um, that has been, I think, dare I say, the cornerstone of of the work that you put out into the world and what I think people really resonate with. I know that I learned about a lot about, oh, okay, so I think it's like this. Um, growing up in America, I'm 34 now. I definitely think times are changing. I think attitudes are changing. And um, with everyone being upfront and candid and being willing to share their own stories, the attitude and the stigma towards mental illness is being shifted greatly. Yes. But when I grew up, I remember, you know, like when I was young, I remember the huge stigma around mental illness, admitting that you um, struggled with mental health or mental illness, um, seeking help for it, being honest and upfront with people about it. Um, flash forward to today, and there's Lady Dynamite, a, a <laughs> Netflix series starring you based on your life, which is all about... I, I assume the ins and outs and the daily trials and tribulations <laughs> of being someone with anxiety, depression, and OCD. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, um, I got diagnosed with bipolar in 2011. I'd always had issues or whatever, but, but yeah, I mean, there have been people. Jonathan Winters, he spoke about having bipolar one for uh, since the 60s, uh, but yeah, I, I think it just seems like it's so much so much better now. Um, I know I, there are, I mean, it's just like um, any, uh, the different, differently abled people. Like mm -hmm. when you, everyone says, oh yeah, I totally, totally get it. I want everyone to be included. And then it's like, you need a ramp? What? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like, so I think that's, that's, I think the next step is that um, having, accessibility for people mm -hmm. like I think um in terms of neurodiversity and um yeah. having people who's who's uh yeah I don't know because I I think that that would be it, comedy is such a great place to be neurodiverse in fact you're yeah. rewarded for it so um <laughs> but I think yeah so, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say I'm trying to sound I, lofty I think I get it I <laughs> I think um <laughs> I think we are definitely at the point right now where a lot of people are trying to talk the talk and then it needs to be followed up by um, walking the walk or um, uh, however that person gets around. Uh, because I think about it, a, a, a very good friend of mine, you know, um, in I believe her mid-20s, early 20s, um, uh, suffered from 
complications with lupus and now uses a wheelchair. <laughs> and it wasn't until there was someone close in my life who uses a wheelchair did I realize how many things aren't wheelchair accessible. Yeah. And and and, and then regionally it changes so much. Like I, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. I live there again now. I've seen so much, especially within the queer community, you know, like so many, um, uh, so much done to be accessible to everyone in the community, you know, like ASL interpreters at shows, nice, yeah. making sure that the space is accessible to people. But you go to different places in the country or different parts of the world. I remember just a crazy thought in my head. I was at this restaurant in Italy and the bathroom, you had to... You had to get up against the wall and like crab walk back to the bathroom because oh they had all these shelves in the way. And I was like, a person, a person in a wheelchair who uses a wheelchair would not be able to comfortably explore Venice. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just not set up that way. Um, yeah. And I think it's easy to see those examples in life and out in the world for something like a wheelchair, but it's harder to identify those kind of things for, um, um, for mental what health. Was, you, Me, yes. you just used the word neuro, neuro neurodiverse. I mean, that's, neurodiverse. that's a neurodiverse. Well, I, mean, I think it's just, it's just because so many employees, big corporations are kind of putting more money into this. Mm. It's mental health awareness and like barnyard craft font. And which is all good, well and good. Um, but then you don't want to feel gaslit when you call your insurance and you're suicidal and they can't see you for three months, or you call the suicide hotline at a surge time and it's 45 to 90 minute wait. Like it's like there, there, there are still issues and, or like what the TV show, um, Lady Dynamite, what I found really so funny about it was that the whole time we, we talked about development of the show, we talked a lot about how the meds kind of uh, make take me out of the the game. You know, like I mm -hmm. I I definitely always sleep twelve hours uh, because of these meds. And um, but then when it came to shooting it, it was like, oh well, we yeah we you got to come back at six. We'll pay you extra. And I'm like, you guys did I remember how I told you I was mental? And I will go mental like like that the work ethic thing in um, and maybe that's only Western society. But I'm sure it's other societies are working 19 hour days, but like uh, of like and it's I think it can also happen of like, well, as long as you can do the work, you must be fine, um, yeah. which um, I don't know if it is always true either. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I find that that hard, you know, interesting too. That people are like, totally, of course, take a mental. Well, it's we kind of need to. We can't take a mental health day. That you know, like, but yeah. not, not now. Don't take one now. <laughs> that's that's um, you know that's really interesting and I think represented really well in the show yeah. <laughs> Lady Dynamite which is so funny to hear that like you're doing a show about 
how hard it can be to be in the entertainment business when you're struggling with mental illness and or thriving with mental illness. You could be thriving with it and oh still God, yes. and still have the have the complications, you know, to see the show. And and first of all, like the I think every entertainer um, who's gotten to the point where they have a manager or representation. Um, Anna Gasteyer's character oh. on that show, so well-written, so well-performed, and such, like, hitting the nail on the head of what it's like to have someone whose job it is to take your creativity and commercialize it, and take your creativity and make it financially viable and for get you both of you. Up. Like get yeah. you like so pumped up out of your mind that you're kind of confused at what's happening. Like, <laughs> and that in combination with the depiction of um, a manic episode, and how kind of like you're getting shit done in this manic episode, and you're and you're getting everything like everything's happening. But what's actually being created at the end? (laughs) And I'm doing, I mean, the idea in the show was like, I was get this job where it's not something I believe in, which is is, uh, related to, I was a Target spokesperson for for three years. And then, and that was at the time where I was kind of going off the rails. And part of it was this obsession with, I'm making all this money, this, it's fun to do this character. Um, I can't sleep. <laughs> I'm having so many great ideas. Um, I'm going to call the New York Times. Don't do it, Maria. Um, <laughs> don't do the New York Times, especially when you got you have ideas about going to space. Don't don't call the New York Times. They're busy. They're busy. Honey. Um, <laughs> But there's what was oh I I remember I used to work uh, at a news desk and somebody called me and says uh, I I had to you know triage different calls and this woman said I I have a news thing item please could you trans uh, tr- uh, could you put me through to the news department I said well what is it about so I can which person I can push you through to and she said well there are devils coming out of my eyes and I'm like okay sports. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that is a uh, baseball issue. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> in your in your work, um, a lot in the Maria Bamford show, a lot in your stand up, um, you uh, have material about your family members, and then you also do impressions of of your family members. And this is one of my favorite aspects of your work as a comedian. Um, I'm sure everyone has their own favorite Maria Bamfordisms, but um, your impression of your mom, Marilyn, is one of my favorite, favorite mm. things. I love I love the Minnesota accent. It's so endearing <laughs> to me. Um, I feel... Like I've seen clips of of your real life mom, mom yeah. um, talking <laughs> talking about your impressions of her, and of course it's like you know your impressions of her are dialed to a thousand, and, and yeah. you know um, it's it's pretty close. <laughs> my, my, and I would just want to let you know my mom passed oh, a little oh, like, under so two years ago. No, 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 and that's okay. Um, they and I, and she would be so delighted that she is being mentioned. <laughs> on this podcast she loved show business um so uh but yeah my mom is is the best and she's been the most supportive of me doing an impersonation of her whereas my my sister um I did an impersonation of her and she 
she asked, she put the kibosh on that <laughs> several years ago. <laughs> oh, well, which I, I get it. She's in a small town in Minnesota and it's like, you know, LA, if somebody's pissed at me, I'll never see him again. You know, like <laughs> we live in Montrose. We will never meet. Uh, but uh, my, my sister lives in a small town. So it's like everybody she, she's known since childhood. So it's like she's at the doctor. You see that joke your sister did about you? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she doesn't need my nonsense. So, but do you do familial material? You know, Jinx Monsoon, the character, yes. has always kind of been based off the women of my family. Oh. Um, uh, when I think hard about it, I'm like, yeah, there's like so many parallels between my mother and Jinx. But the Jinx, the Jinx character is is way less like my mom than if I were to do like a, a strict Deanne impression, but, <laughs> but uh, my impressions of my mom are pretty famous amongst my, my friends in my household because they've all met her and they've all dealt with her at different points in time. Can, and... I, can I see a little Deanne? Oh, <laughs> yeah. The, she, her thing is that she gets stressed at the drop of a hat. It's like it's zero to 60 first moment of conflict. So she'll come over, honey, I have to help you set up the table. Oh, you've cooked all the dinner. I would have cooked. I, I couldn't, I, my stove isn't working. I, 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 I couldn't help, but I'll, I'll set the table. I'll just go into the kitchen and get the, um, get the uh, plates and the, and the, I can't find the plates. Where are the forks? I, I don't know where anything in this kitchen is. And it's like, no one's asking for any of this lady. Let's dial it back. And my favorite thing she does is, um, in, Oregon, I don't think it's around anymore, but there was a pizza buffet restaurant called Izzy's <laughs> that was famous with my family. We love buffets. And she would go, and I told my best friend once when he came to dinner with us, I, I told them, um, my mom's going to eat dinner peacefully for about 20 minutes, and then she's going to start complaining about how tired she is. <laughs> it's going to happen, so just be ready for it. And she, sure enough, we're at Izzy's, and 20 minutes in, she starts, oh, 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 my goodness. I think they put something in the salads, the preservatives or something. You all have to eat fast. I have to get out of here. It's like, Would she leave? Would she leave and tip over? No, but she's got to get everyone home and she's got to wait for the dinner to be done. So it's, it's not so much that she's going to excuse herself. It's that everyone else has to now rush eat because... <sighs> Because the salad has made mom sleepy. Like, like every time we go, um, she's convinced there's something in them. They spray the salad with preservatives to keep it fresh longer. Well, she's, <laughs> Deanna is right, Jinx. Deanna is just right about that. And that's why I always say, is it on the side? Can you get me a ramica? <laughs> You know, like a, a, you know, everything on the side. I just like a, a little light oil, a little oil <laughs> and salt and pepper. And that's just do looking it down the gullet. <laughs> um, do you enjoy watching the work that you create? Do you, have you seen every episode of Adventure Time? Because <laughs> I have. Oh, I'll just say it. I know. It's I a mean, beautiful I was its, show. I was its target audience when it was airing, and then I have rewatched it as an adult to like analyze it and dig deeper into the meanings and how it made me feel as a teenager. Um, 
she's no uh, yeah she's a deep one i well i know the guy i know pendleton ward because mm -hmm. he lives in my old neighborhood and i met him that way that's what i think why i got the job because i met him in the neighborhood um but uh yeah i yeah i don't so much i i don't i, I mean i'll watch a stand-up set of his first special to just to mm -hmm. see uh if you know am i am i if I saying the jokes, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm not, uh, for some reason, that's not as um, interesting to me. I mean, I'd, I'd like to get better as an actor, uh, but I don't, yeah, I, I don't like to watch myself afterwards. Um, yeah. I don't, I know some people would watch the rushes and stuff and edit, and I did not do that at all with Lady Dynamite, I, nope. Cause I had to, I had to go yeah. home and I had to get my 12 hour. <laughs> get my 12, 12 hour. I, I'm very much the same. I, um, I, I like someone to do the first pass of editing. <laughs> I like someone to weed away all the, all the stuff that I don't need to be concerned with. Like if it's something I'm producing or creating myself, of course I eventually have to watch it. Yes, yes. But um, <laughs> yes. but lots of times I like to wait until it's just all said and if possible, I wait until it's all said and done and just accept it. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I make my opinions very well known while filming. Like. Uh, don't use that one or, oh, this was really stupid. Please, um, please remember that this was the stupid take. Um, and then I like to see someone else's interpretation of all of that later. But I, I will watch everything once, yes. sometimes twice, and then try to and then try to just put it away forever. <laughs> you had a, a Christmas special come out, right? Uh, you, oh, well, that one I've watched, like, I don't know how many times I do that obnoxious thing where I show someone new the, uh, the this film I, I worked on and co-wrote and co-started, and I sit there and watch them the whole time to see how they <laughs> <laughs> So I, I try not to do that, but it happens once in a while. But <laughs> and, and how did you, did you have... Um, a producer like did you self-fund it or how did that work it was all Ben de la Creme who's the co-writer oh. and co-star oh. um she was the head producer she you know she got some investors but oh. essentially it was Ben de la Creme presents um uh producing she directed it we co-wrote <gasps> it it was all very in-house nice. and that's you know like when possible I mean I think of course that's the that's the dream is mm -hmm. when when you have when you maintain control of of the piece from start to finish so that those outside people don't get in and start saying and now we're gonna make action figures yeah, no, out of no. <laughs> no all of a sudden you're like what i will not say lady dynamite i definitely let grow of all control because mm -hmm. i i didn't have the energy or the brain capacity to do it which <laughs> which totally i mean worked out a, a lot of time but sometimes i was like you know some things i didn't agree with and i think oh maybe i should have like the fact that my character gives blowjobs like eight times <laughs> over. And I was like, okay, if you're going to mention a blowjob, you need to, you need to say how hard it is to give a blowjob. <laughs> and I need to have a, you know, like a character reason of what, what it is about that. Like, anyways, I just, I feel like you gotta have respect for the BJ. You can't just use that as a throwaway line. So have you have you enjoyed being as candid as you have been 
um, with your personal life making its way into your material? Have Has there been... I'm sure it's a double-edged sword. I'm sure there's pros and cons to being as candid and upfront um, about your personal life and your work. Um, would you say the good outweighs the bad? That's like three questions in a row, oh, but it's all kind of the same thing. <laughs> for sure, the good outweighs the bad. And also it separates, as my mother would say, the wheat from the chaff. <laughs> um, you know, like I, 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 uh, I get to perform for people, I mean, which is also a a new thing in this era is the you get to perform for people who love what you do <laughs> which mm-hmm. for comedy at least was not always the case <laughs> like, <laughs> I can still I can still run into a you know some live wires but it's just much less often where it's a hostile environment <laughs> and um and so that's that's wonderful and I think yeah the fact that I do talk about also it makes me feel welcome because then I go Mm -hmm. anybody who likes my stuff I mean I would presume has had or knows someone who's had a mental health issue so I'm like you know if I (laughs) I can also check in I can check in with them I'm not feeling very good today how about you (laughs) um (laughs) like uh yeah I'm not my my brand isn't a I'm not particularly slick. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's good. Uh, yeah, no, it's only, I've only been good. And, and it does make me feel more useful. Cause then, uh, I know that as a kid, I felt super isolated, like a huge weirdo. I'm sure like uh, many kids where you just go, Oh, am I the only person who sees the world this way? And, uh, and it turns out Google it. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say that sometimes just, you know, whether it makes its way into your work or whether it's something you're candid about, like in your public presence, um, I, I think we hear like advocacy and we, we hear like being, um, being an advocate for something. And we think that it means you're like at the rallies at the front of the line, you know, <laughs> like holding the banners and like, we demand this. Um, <laughs> but sometimes it's just talking about it yeah. to your audience. Sometimes it's just like bringing it up. I mean, that's, I think the biggest step towards destigmatizing things yeah. uh, is realizing how many people and successful people, how many, how many people you already know and admire yeah. deal with these things. Well, and I think uh, like, and, and I, you know, my mom was a therapist or she trained to be a therapist after uh, we were out of high school and, you know, I was prejudice against mental health. Mm-hmm. Like when it was time for me to go to the hospital, I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> you know, like I could go to a spa or something and just <laughs> run around in a circle with my bare feet. Is that okay? No. Um, so, uh, yeah, like um, I, I think I had so much stigma myself and I've always thought of myself as an accepting person. And then it was like, well, you know, uh, so I like to, to bring it up things like suicide, all that's just because if it, if people talk about it more then it, I feel like it's less likely to get to that point where someone is so mm-hmm. al- alone. Um, mm-hmm. um, and also like, I, yeah, I'm trying to do material about, about the accessibility of, because I mean, there are great new things. Instead of calling the police, you can call emergency 
uh, mental health teams. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Portland probably has a lot of wonderful options of things that you can call because you know, sometimes when you call for help, you get shot, you know, like, yeah. it's not ideal. I was, um, I brought a friend um, who was experiencing psychosis. And this was during the time of um, all the, um, it, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement had just begun and, and then the quarantine. And my friend was experiencing uh, terribles. And we went to an emergency psychiatric unit. Inside the psychiatric unit, what was playing on the big screen TV, <laughs> CNN, in real time, playing over and over again, uh, the murder of uh, George, uh, George Floyd, uh, over and over again, over and over again. I was like, hey, could we, could we kind of, anything from HGTV guys get cable at all? Because seems like, what? Like, just... Yeah, so it's and 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 my friend was an African American person, and you just go, oh my god, it, the healthcare you could get could be super shitty, and yet yeah. it was still helpful. Like they were able to get meds. That's that's great, but it, I I just th that's the thing I get worried about the the marketing aspect, the Instagram aspect of mental mm -hmm. health thing, where it's like it's gonna be fun and everyone's gonna understand, <laughs> and it's like. <laughs> there's gonna be an orange cigarette bucket and a man making bird calls while he exposes himself <laughs> to you uh, but you're good you won't kill yourself that's what we can guarantee there's gonna be a filipino lady with eyes on you for 24 hours a day so <laughs> i i i just i mean it, it's it, it was such a shift in my life when I felt like, oh, we can actually talk about this. Right. And I think um, I think in America, there's a stigma still. And um, uh, there's always kind of been a stigma in my life of seeking help or, right. or asking for help. Because there's this American mentality of, you got it, we can do it. You got to lift, you got to hike up your bootstraps and take care of everything yourself. Because if you don't, you're a failure. And that it's got to be the right help, that it's got to be mm -hmm. perfect help. Like it's got to be whatever it is, Christian or LA. It's like, you got to, this guy, you've got to meet him. He's on a helicopter pad from 4 a.m. to 5 a.m. It's $9,000, but you, you're the best. <laughs> like, no, just, any fucking shitty ass help like go to the jehovah mm. witnesses see what they have on offer like it, it, anything that's within walking distance go to taco bell like seriously i, I just feel like to <laughs> to lower the bar to what help is as well like mm. i go to 12-step programs which are cultish and weird and problematic <laughs> but they are free yeah. <laughs> they are for, you know, so yeah, I, I, yeah, because I, because I think that's something about America too. It's like, oh well, you have to go to the the right person with the right formula, and it's yeah. like it, it usually costs money. Yeah, um, I mean, and that's of course a huge thing in America right now. Is you know, like there are ways to there are ways to seek help and and live a happy, productive life, and a lot of them cost money. And then the free ones, um, like you said, are a mixed bag. Yeah. And what <laughs> what I found is what kind of um, 
open. It was my my gateway um, therapy was kind of overcoming that stigma and overcoming the kind of. So in my family, I I don't know why. I think it's because I was an old soul. Um, <laughs> <laughs> everyone in my family told, poured their secrets into me. So it was like oh. I knew the secrets from my grandma that my mom wasn't supposed to know. I knew the secrets about my grandma that um, my mom wasn't supposed to tell me. So I can't repeat it. And I was just this little. I was this little like safe full of secrets and a big part of why it was all secret is because no one wanted to be labeled like the mess or the crazy Mm. one. Um, I watched my, you know, people in my family uh, just in complete denial about addiction for most of my life. So then when I struggled with my own addiction, it was like, if I can't take care of this myself or if I can't find a way to drink responsibly, then I'm just like everyone else in my family or I'm a failure. Like I, I should have known better. I should have not found myself struggling with alcoholism because I knew better because I grew up around it, you know? So it took me a long time to admit my own issues with alcoholism. Um, and then it took, you know, like three more years to finally do something about I know. it. Who has time? There's a box. Yeah. There's a box of wine that needs to be empty. It's right there. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I, I, I've struggled with depression in my life but not as much until you know the fame monster happened because before that mm-hmm. there was school and there was work and there were a lot of things to keep my mind off of myself mm-hmm. then I experienced success and then that kind of opened up like oh and now you have different now your whole life is about like who you are as a person <laughs> and you start examining yourself sometimes you don't like what you find and then <laughs> um um, uh, being two and a half years sober now, I found that as soon as I cut alcohol out of my life, the anxiety rose mm-hmm. to a maximum because I was like, oh, the alcohol kept the anxiety quiet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the alcohol kept my OCD tendencies to a minimum because I didn't, I was too drunk to care. <laughs> and now all of those now all of those things that have always been there are running the show because alcohol's not there to quiet them or slow them down. Well, and if, um, if you do like, um, I know that I've been in 12 step, I was a bulimic and so I've been in Overeaters Anonymous for about 30, 30 years. And then I've been in Debtors Anonymous 25 <laughs> years. What? So sexy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that the, um, well, and I'm not supposed to even tell people that, right? That's supposed to be the cult rules. You're not supposed to tell anybody. <laughs> it's um, anonymous. It's anonymous. <laughs> Maria. Um, well, you're a comedian. So can we even take anything you say seriously? seriously exactly. <laughs> yeah. Is it the truth? I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, that, oh, oh gosh, I was just, thinking, oh yeah, the, 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 the feelings that come up or sometimes I would translate my OCD tendencies into the 12 step program, like going, getting kind of Catholic about it, like going, mm-hmm. I got to do a fifth step because my fourth step wasn't complete. The fourth step was the fifth step. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to do the 12 step because 12 step is me. I'm back to the reverse. You go to the one, you go to the first step. And you got to go to meetings. I mean, you got to go to six meetings a day, right? Because I mean, if you don't, if I'm not in a meeting, am I even in recovery? You know, like yeah. I, yeah. I start to spin out. Uh, I can do anything uh, in a bizarre, uh, exciting way, but uh, <laughs> but it is it's so true. Once you take away um, the effective, uh, effective uh, 
get drug it, it's yeah the well the self-medication is it, it, it got that way for a for a reason it helped at some point you know yes, yes. and then and then in comes the addiction and i realized that i started that tangent and i went on my own tangent about <laughs> my mental history and never even got to the point that i started with which was my gateway into therapy yes. was text-based therapy because that oh. was what i felt like i could handle yes and so um, we are living in this golden age of, you know, any, anytime something becomes commercialized, anytime someone's making money off of it, you know, you have to like, you have to, you have to be sensible. You have to make sure you're not getting taken for a ride. But I will say that um, subscribing to a therapy app and finding a therapist who would text with me and he always offered to do phone calls, but I was too scared to do phone calls and oh. too scared to do FaceTime. Cause there was something about voicing it out loud oh, at yeah. least then. So it, excuse me, everything was text based and it was like, Oh, it's like texting my friends about all my anxieties. It's like giving my friend, like waking my friend up at 2 AM with 30 anxiety texts, except this person is trained <laughs> <laughs> and capable of taking those texts and helping me helping me through it and helping me decipher and analyze it rather than my friend who's like, you know, I don't know what to do. Please stop unloading all of your emotions on me. I'm just a person. You know? Do you want to go to Sephora? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Well, I've tried I've just signed up because I, I did no CD, which is, that's a text thing. And I did face-to-face -face things for a OCD thing I was having trouble with, with the choir, and that was helpful. Um, and now I've signed up for better help again. I tried better help once and it was so hilarious. The first text I got, or one of the second texts I got from the therapist was, Christine, of course you're stressed. You just had a baby. And I was like, <laughs> sounds like she's, she's busy. She's, she's, she's got a lot on her plate. Right now. <laughs> so, but I, I am, I'm, I'm down to text. I think um, I just got another message from the BetterHelp people. So, because um, I, I, I love the ROPS, um, and especially yeah. not to have to drive anywhere and then yeah. sit in a weird waiting room. Yeah, with my current therapist, it started. Um, because of uh, it started um, through uh, Zoom calls because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, I mean, I was on tour for a little bit before Omicron swept in and put <laughs> put, oh. put that show down. Um, but now it's kind of like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. Now that I'm past that threshold of not being able to like look someone in the eyes while I'm talking about myself. Right. <laughs> um, it's, it's really helpful to be able to meet with my therapist on a zoom call because it doesn't matter where in the world I am or what, you know, we can find somewhere where our time zones link up. And that's, that's been extremely helpful. And, um, you know, like we were talking about, like just being able to talk about things, just hearing other people talk about things and hearing the real life experiences versus what we're told through media and television and movies, what a crazy person looks like, you know, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, and even that 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 state of health is somehow wrong. You know, it's yeah. like you know, if if somebody is you know agitated, manic, uh, ha is having delusions, like 
uh, it, it, to normalize it, like in that the person, I mean, and I don't even know what it is to do with somebody who is a social worker who works with people with um, uh, psychosis would be better, but I, it, but just like that it isn't an ethical thing. Like it isn't like, you know, like it, or, or something you have to, the person isn't someone you have to avoid. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we all just have circumstances we deal with. Some people are tall. Yes. Some pe- yes. You know, some people have to bend down Ugh. to get through a doorway. Some people are left-handed. Some people, you know, um, have to uh, rewatch a TV show every night so that they <laughs> can calm down enough to go to sleep. You know, I'm a, I'm on my fourth watching of uh, Seinfeld, like oh my God, <laughs> the Seinfeld? last two years. It calms me because it's like whatever. <laughs> everything happens in the episode, and then by the next episode, everything's back to the way it was before. So that really calms me. Seinfeld, The Simpsons, The Office, oh, <laughs> like these things. Hilarious. Those are very, that's a, (laughs) I I like a queer eye for the straight guy. I like seeing a Mm. transformation of someone's life through exterior traits. (laughs) Like, like you just needed pillows. You needed pillows. (laughs) You just needed pillows and a haircut. And a haircut. God damn you. Like, yeah, it's just so, I I love that. My my husband's like, how can we get on that show? And I'm like, Oh my God. Just start now. Let yeah. yourself go. Yeah. And, and oh in about two years, JVN will just get uh, the JVN senses will start tingling. <laughs> um, we, we spent so much time talking uh, uh, about your work as an advocate that um, we barely talked about your body of work as an entertainer, oh, but yeah, everyone no should go out there and um, just watch everything you've ever done because you're just fantastic. You talked about... Um, you know, uh, uh, being an actor as well as a comedian, you um, did a season of Arrested Development. Your character <laughs> was complex and nuanced. Debris, debris, Bardo. Debris. <laughs> yeah. And um, um, the the series creator called you a comical genius and said that real artists talk about things that nobody else talks about. And talk about them candidly, um, and I I couldn't agree more. It's it, it's definitely what's kept me a fan for years and years. Besides you just being naturally gifted, talented, and hilarious. Have my final. Com- th- these go real quick. Okay. Don't worry. I'll let you get. Uh, oh, no. get, get, get I off. Get, to, I gotta uh, get to the merch jet page. setting lifestyle. Oh, I gotta get the merch um, merch page so I can get my 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 merch my Jinx merch. <laughs> I have um, these compulsory questions. I ask every guest that I have. Yes. You answer them however you feel. Okay. First question is: Who is your celebrity crush today? And you can interpret that question. Anyway, I love The Rock. Um, no, that you know, I know that's a, sort of a common answer. It's sort of a go-to. Of course, you'd love The Rock. Um, he's positive, and he seems like a very hard worker. And he uh, he was the best part of the Fast and Furious series uh, that I believe I'm going to abandon watching. I watched Fast and Furious Nine. I was like, "Where's The Rock? Um, what's he got cooking?" 
nothing because he had a fight with the, the star of the show. Anyways, uh, I love the yes, The Rock. That's that's a wonderful answer. Mm-hmm. Um, answer uh, question two is: Are you spiritual? No, I am science based. So mm-hmm. I do believe into the science of of prayer that mm-hmm. if you say things and you know the cognitive uh shifts mm-hmm. and and that you can connect your neural pathways in a good way and set your brain on fire with with spirituality with group um ritual um mm-hmm. but i do not i do not believe that um this is a universe of meaning I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We we never have to apologize for your true feelings and thoughts. Um, Final question is what's your go to karaoke song? Oh, um, uh, Pat Benatar, Love is a Battlefield. Love is a battlefield. (laughs) (laughs) Heartache to heartache, we stand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love it when the guests start singing the song. Um, I had Deborah Wilson from Mad TV fame, also renowned voice actor. I had Deborah Wilson on and asked her her go-to karaoke song. And I think she said... um, um, moon dance. Oh, it's a wonderful night for a moon dance. And then she sang the entire song. She sang the entire song a cappella at the drop of a hat. Um, Maria Bamford, you are quite truly one of my heroes. I have just absolutely loved this conversation. I appreciate it so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on Jinx. I uh, honor honor you and your uh, journey and also the <laughs> the beauty. F- yeah, um, you are uh, a wonderful performer and, and I was so honored to meet you back on that airplane. <laughs> I wish I hadn't had to pee. And um, No, no. <laughs> and it's so great. I hope to see you. Maybe I'll see you in London because I'm going to London this year. I saw your, your dates. Uh, yeah. Your- October. So. I, I mean, fingers crossed. Right. <laughs> um, where can my listeners find you on your social medias? I'm at Maria Bamfu on Twitter. And sometimes I do live one-on-one sh- uh, shows with people in person and on Zoom, uh, depending on what I'm feeling like. Uh, so you can follow me there or I'm on Instagram at Maria Bamfu Comedy. And um then uh, you could just meet me in Alta Dina, California. Oh, I'm wander- <laughs> wandering around with a rainbow hat. <laughs> um, uh, some recent posts on your Instagram that were one of my favorite things was um, reasons to stay alive for 2022. <laughs> and it was all based off of a, um, of a trip to a drugstore, right? Yeah. A, a Walgreens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the, yeah, it was the 12 reasons to stay alive. There's only 12 really. <laughs> Um, so, uh, but stick around, stick around and, um, maybe we'll uh, generate new ones. Maybe. Oh, my there are new ones. No, there's, a, there's a wonderful book. And I, I think the title is reasons to stay alive. And it's a beautiful mm-hmm. book saying, oh, oh, there's still alive. But, uh, yeah, well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on of the show course. and promoting on my show. And, 
And if you or anyone listening wants to look this up, um, uh, type in Jinx Monsoon SNL audition and you will see it's brief, but there is a Maria Bamford impersonation in my SNL audition. I'm not saying it's great or anything, but I had to get you in there. (laughs) Oh my God, what I mean there. Wow. I never auditioned for um, SNL, um, which was, it it was a boon for everyone because I don't like working with others. (laughs) Well, thank you. Stand-up has been good. You're you're absolutely amazing, and thank you so much, Maria. And thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else, and I'll see you next Wednesday for some more Hi Jinx! To listen to Hijinks ad-free and one day early, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. Hijinks is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, a.k.a. Mom. Hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon. Produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound designed by Will Pitts. And executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Big Dipper, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.